Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Fascinating Nouns. Now we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. And as we arrive at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now tonight is a night that we prove that we are in fact intergalactic because we are going to talk about one thing which I am completely convinced originated on a different planet and that is carnivorous plants. That is the subject of tonight's conversation and we are going to talk with Richard Woods who is an expert, a 50 year plus expert in carnivorous plants. We're going to talk about the Venus flytrap and if that isn't evidence that we're talking about an intergalactic species, I don't know what is. I'm sure everyone's seen these things. I, I, you know, I, like everyone else, when I was 12 years old, I happened to come across in what, was, what is now Michael's, but I believe was a different type of craft store, and they sold these Venus flytraps. I don't know why they had them in a craft store, but basically what it was was a mini terranium, black bottom, moss in the middle, these beautiful yet creepy traps look like bear traps and uh, what you did is you supposedly fed them hamburger gave them distilled water and they had a little plastic thing that went on top to make it a terrarium. high humidity is required for these things that was my first introduction my grandmother took me out to michael's picked one of these things up she thought it'd be perfect for me and um you know promptly killed it about a week later why because these things are impossible to keep alive or so i thought we will be talking with Richard Woods, who is a 50-plus year horticultural expert in carnivorous plants of all types. We're going to talk about pitfall traps, snap traps, which is where the Venus flytrap falls, talk about um, flypaper traps, all that stuff. I mean, this is this has been a topic that has just been on the in my mind forever. I, I used to... I had a big terranium for eight plus years with different types of sundews, managed to keep them alive for a while. But the Venus flytrap has always eluded me. So uh, we're going to talk with Richard. And one of the things, uh, you know, I think one of the problems that I had was that I wasn't growing these things in a green pipe, which is why they never developed the red spots and the teeth and the ability to to throw fireballs at, at me. So Richard, I think, is going to kind of, hopefully by the end of this discussion, I'll be able to figure out exactly how come they can spit fire but have a vulnerability to fire if Super Mario Brothers has taught me anything? Richard's going to ask these types of questions, the questions people want to know. That is what we're going to answer. So without further ado, let's talk with Richard. Richard, thank you so much for being here, man. Well, by being here, I mean talking to me via Skype or being there for me intellectually, I should say. Yeah, well, don't worry about it. Um, so, now, your expertise is carnivorous plants. Uh, yes, that's very true. Uh, I, oddly enough, I tell everyone, I got my first Venus flytrap in uh, 1958. And uh, I've been collecting them since then. 50-plus uh, years, 56 years to be exact. Wow. Um, what? So, I think I'm, I'm pretty much a expert in the fact that I have you know, collected all the rare varieties and have, you know, grown them for this many years. You know, I don't specialize in, in a, a particular one. Many people do. Uh, they, they specialize in, in growing, let's say, Venus flytraps or Nepenthes or Serencina. I'm more of a, a generalist. I grow them all, uh, and I don't specialize in anything. So, like I said, you, you, after 50 years, you become pretty good at it. Now, I would imagine so. Uh, now, what's kind of cool about you is, so you don't, I mean, you're not like a botanist. You're not one of these boring laboratory type guys. I mean, you, you <laughs> kind of learned it on your own um, just from a pure passion. Yeah. And, and, and you've even, you, you grow all kinds of even experimental types, right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I've never gone to school, but I've been a gardener and a landscaper. I was a licensed contractor for for many, many years, like 37 years or something like that. Um, it, it, so I, I have a working knowledge of, you know, what goes on outside in the plant world. Um, and, and no, I don't work in the lab, so to speak. But over the years, I've collected about 500 different species of plants 
that don't exist in the world. They're hybrids. And these particular plants, I've, I've had many conversations with, uh, you know, directors and people up at UC Davis and what have you. And I, I have come to the conclusion that the DNA is not as fixed, let's say, in these plants as a maple tree. So these guys will mutate and set off offspring that actually live in an area that is not good, environmentally bad for them. Uh, and if they, if there's a chance at all, they will mutate into something that grows there. Uh, I'm not exactly sure they're as good as weeds. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, that's and, but and that's, that's what a life reference to gardeners who know exactly what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their ability to grow in bad conditions is is really beyond belief. Well, I, you know, and I, I believe that that's true. What's actually funny is I started growing carnivorous plants when I was, you know, 12 or 13. They didn't grow very well right. for me. Uh, they're very difficult to grow. But um, but I do believe you. I do believe that, you know, life kind of finds a way to quote Jurassic Park, you know. Yeah. Well, like I said, they, they, um, uh, the, the interesting thing about them is, is that there's a lot of, uh, it, uh, I don't know how to put it quite into words. As they mutate, they all have the ability to do this, and I see it more rapidly in them, let's say, like I said, like maple tree. But all plants do the same thing on a general basis. But these guys do it more specifically. Uh, you, you know, like I said, you can take them and put them in a bad place, and if they live, their progeny, their seed will actually do well there. And I don't see that in other species. So it's kind of a, it's just something I've noticed after 50 years. Well, I mean, they are designed to grow in nutrient-poor soil. Uh, so, I mean, that could have yeah. something to do with it. I mean, they're kind of geared oh, to I'm, live in the harsh environments. I'm, I'm sure it has a whole lot to do with it because they collect minerals in the, in the form of plants. Uh, easier, let's say, than a, a plant that is searching for nutrients in the ground. Right, so it 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 really makes a big difference. But, yeah, well, uh, I think we we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. What what exactly is a carnivorous plant? Let's just start over. Let's pretend we're we're teaching a class. I mean, so now just okay. to, no, now tell me if I have this right. So this is basically the term given to plants who've kind of evolved a taste for human flesh, right? <laughs> not human. No, not human. Uh, in, insect. The um, the the thing is is a. Uh, Oh, if you go back a million years, uh, they started developing, you know, let's just call it a goo on the plants. Insects got adhered to it, and they started absorbing, you know, the rotted insect. And at some point, no one really knows, I've never seen it in the book anywhere, they went and formed a pitcher, a leaf actually formed some form of a pitcher, and as, you know, years thousands of years roll by they evolved into you know what you see them today um so you're saying that pitcher plants were the first of the carnivorous plants to evolve I, well no no i i'm not too sure who came along first oh, okay. be it sundews or pitcher plants or, or the trap I, over like i said over a, a million years or so the discovery that they like to eat plants has led to their design and what have you they eat insects um, the insects are a high protein uh, versus, and, and if you just think of the insects as minerals, mm -hmm. and, and so you can see the leaves are attracted to the minerals and the roots aren't anymore because the minerals don't exist in the bog. And, and so over a long period of the time, the leaves absorb water and minerals and that content, and so they shape themselves into... Whatever the driving force is that causes a plant to mutate, I don't think has been found. Uh, you know, how do you drive a plant into changing? Uh, if you don't do it genetically, uh, somehow they do that. And that's a very interesting area to get into that really no one really thinks about very much. But, you know, driving a plant into what, what makes it mutate is a very good question. Uh, one I can't even answer. So 
but you know, as I said, a million years ago, they started absorbing the minerals, and that's what you end up with today. That's that's how carnivory started. What's kind of cool about these things? I mean, because most here's what interests me about carnivorous plants is that. You know, when you, people like to talk about mammals and you talk about the, the structure of nature and apex predators and, you know, where you fall into the food chain, but you never think of plants as being that way. You think of them as, you know, taking in light and, and taking, you know, uh, you know, nutrients from the soil and, you know, giving off oxygen if you go one step further. But most people don't give plants any mind except to, to eat them themselves. So when you're talking about a plant that actually is basically the apex predator of the plant world, you know, I mean, there aren't uh, there aren't many right. plants that eat insects. I mean, these things, you know, they're very complex. Uh, they're very we're very well evolved. They're almost sentient. You know, I mean, they 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 actively trap insects, dissolve them, and in some cases, you know, they, they kind of. They're like stomach, like a Venus flytrap. You know, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you know that it creates a stomach basically that dissolves the insect and then opens up and right. you know do it again. It's amazing. It's right, right. My mind. As, as I've said, uh, well, let me put it this way: they almost become pets. Right. Um, I know, even <laughs> though I probably have thirty or forty thousand plants in my collection. Um, I know them all. I wander up and down those aisles, and I, I look at each and every one of them. They all have their own little, uh, you know, it's like owning a dog or owning a cat. They're, right. they're very <laughs> odd in that way, and, and a lot of people that collect them feel the same way. They're, you know, above a bush, but below an animal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't really pet a Venus flytrap but you can keep it as a pet. I mean, people who keep uh, lizards and things like that, or your frogs is another example. Yeah. You know, the green frogs, and it's the same sort of thing. They're not quite, you know, a pet like a cat that you're going to scratch, but it's a pet. Well, you got to feed it. And you got to water it. You, gotta, you know, I mean, right. <laughs> you got to do the same thing to keep it as a pet as you do your frog in a, a, or a turtle. Yeah, in a bowl or something like that. So, it, it's really quite odd. And and you know some of the experiments that people have tried over the years. I know they're talking, or they did back in the '60s and '70s. I've been doing it for so long. I hear a lot of this stuff, and I forget that it was done like 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's people were looking for electrical signals and impulses and things like that. And uh, you know, again. I didn't pursue that end that's more in the laboratory environment. You know, what makes, when a Venus flytrap closes, um, there's no fluid on it. But at some point, it, the, the cell walls open up and digestive fluids come out. More pressure is placed on the insect to crush it. And then later on, other cell walls open up and fluids suck back into the plant. You know, the timing of all that in order to happen is, again, one of those things I'd love to be able to look at in a laboratory environment. It probably cost millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, it's you such know, a it's complex. Something that, yeah, you're right. It, it is so complex. Uh, I mean, it's beyond the normal complexity of a plant is what I'm getting at. And that's why a lot of people collect these things is, in order to absorb the minerals, it goes one step farther than, uh, let's say, your rose out in the backyard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because uh, for you the, know, and, well, I mean, for the rose, everything's in in the soil. You know, I mean, it's already there. Yeah. Whatever's dissolved or decomposed or you know is already there. It's already broken down for them. They're lazy. Right. You know, lazy. Right. Oh, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. yeah. But again, the other thing I notice a lot of plants in the soil. Uh, they grow a fungus on the root. And the fungus eats the minerals, and the mineral byproduct of the fungus is what the roots absorb. Oh. Carnivorous plants do not do that. I don't know if you're familiar with planting plants, but some some, uh, some soils in, in nurseries where you get the, the, the little flowers and things mm-hmm. uh, is so good that you can actually put, you know, you pull out the pans, you can see the root with all this fungus growing on it which is actually a good thing shows you the soils real good 
Right. But um, people, if you pull out the roots, as I handle hundreds of thousands of carnivorous plants that are bare root, they don't have that fungus. Um, it's just an odd little thing. The absorption of minerals, you know, is totally different. So they've totally changed their, uh, how would you say it, botanical way of doing things. Yeah. Do you, you think know, it's they've be- gone from the leaf structure from the roots to the leaves? Yeah. So, it, it, again, all all those things that have happened over the you know millions of years. The fact that some plants absorb water, like uh, orchids, mm-hmm. they absorb water through the leaves. So do uh, carnivorous plants, the um, nepenthes. They they absorb water through the leaves. You know the ones that hang in the jungle. Yeah. With the orchids, they they do the same thing. They have the same sort of you know, we absorb the water. The roots are almost non-existent. Fact is, on many of the cuttings, you find very small roots, but <laughs> two-foot-long plants. Now that's just basically. So basically, the root is just to anchor the plant. I mean, it has yeah. very little other purpose than to anchor it into the ground. Well, right? right, and they also have microscopic pores for water, which is another key element of water. Is uh, in city water, tap water. You have uh, hard minerals like iron and calcium and what have you. That that water, when you water your carnivorous plants, tends to clog up the pores of the roots, hmm. which is a very good reason people buy their plants. They get them from Lowe's or Home Depot, and they go home and they water them. They're killing it with the tap water. Inside three to six days, those pores plug up. Oh, wow. So... Depending on from city to city how good the water is, it could be eight to ten days or two months. But in the end, the hard minerals will totally clog up the pores of the plants. So they they do have that problem where they got to be in really, you know, pristine environments, or you got to use bread or tap water. I mean, uh, pure anything to take out the hard minerals. Right, distilled, reverse osmosis, any either one of those, right? Yeah. So now let's let's talk about the different types of carnivorous plants because there's several different ways that, that plants have evolved to um, to kind of trap and absorb insects. I mean the Venus flytrap is probably the weirdest. Um, I mean it does look like it's from Venus, um, and so most people think of that when, when they think of carnivorous plants. But there's several other types of carnivorous plants out there. Yeah, actually, you know, for, for maybe 20 years, I didn't even have a Venus flytrap in my collection. No kidding. Um, there are so many, literally so many other species. Um, let's, let's take the, um, like I, I mentioned, the Serencina, the mm. pitcher plants. So the, now pitcher, uh, now p- those are called pitfall. Uh, I just want to break it down. So those are called pitfall trap plants, right? Because they're, they're yeah. all basically the same structure. Right. And there, there are two semi, there are two species. One are called Nepenthes. One are called Serencina. Both of them have a trap or the insect sees reflected sunlight in a a different wavelength that we do, and they're attracted to the plant. When the insect gets up really close to the plant, there's a, they produce a a form of nectar. I suppose it tastes good. I've never tasted it. Uh, But what is in it is a, a neurotoxin, what and an agent that like it's like roofies they roofie the the uh <laughs> they drug the insect yeah it's oh, sort God. of like that but there's also <laughs> there's also um what i've read is an agent that takes the neurotoxin into the bloodstream uh it helps fa- facilitate the movement of that chemical into your bloodstream in in thousands of a second uh, that that carrying agent is so good that I've had a customer come in and put her finger on, not at my house or at the store, but she came into the store to tell me this. She was sitting there having her tea, and she put her finger on the plant. It was early in the morning. There was a big drop of this fluid that the insects land and, and suck up, and she put it on her tongue. And before she could move her finger, her tongue went numb. Uh, that's how quick wow. that, that agent that carries that stuff. Now, I, in 56 years, I've never wanted to do this. So 
It's, it's like nothing I recommend, okay? Yeah. But she said in about an hour, her tongue came back. The feeling came back. And I said, well, I've never tried or even thought about doing this. So it's got to be pretty powerful. But what happens is when the insect gets up close, it, it lands on what's, there's a little rolled lip that you'll see on all the plants, and they suck it up, and then they fall in. Now, the inside of the plant is lined with waxy cells and downward-pointing hairs, and it falls to its doom. They call them fall traps or, you know, pitcher plants or whatever, because they do look kind of like a, a pitcher that you put flowers in. Or like iced so, tea. Like, they kind of look like an iced tea pitcher. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, hence the name. Uh, some of the more fascinating ones, there, there are really three main species like that, even though there's other species that eat microscopic organisms in the soil and the same in the water. But these are the three main pitchers, the pitcher plant, the Venus flytrap, and the third one is the sundew. Now, that plant has tentacles on it. Again, it has the carrying agent. It has the neurotoxin. But it also has a unique substance which is similar to super glue. So when the insect lands on the tentacles, it latches onto them. Now, if you really want to go into depth, on the side of the plant leaf, there's these microscopic pike hairs that hit the insect and knock it into the center of the leaf. The tentacles all bend down and pin the insect to the leaf where cells open up and forms a little stomach and digest the insect right there on the spot. Now this is the sundew plant. Like a little hand. This is huh? the this is the sundew plant that does this. I've always wondered yeah, how the sundew just, dissolves stuff. Yeah, the, they've got little tentacles on them. All those little dew drops that you see on the tentacles, uh, all the tentacles move, kind of like uh, an octopus in a way. Hence the name. Some of the bigger ones they nickname the uh, <clears throat> other nurseries that grow these that sell them to home people and whatever, they call it the octopus plant. Wow. It, you know, how it's got the little suckers and all that. Yeah. Kind of a cheap play on words. But the truth is, is all those tentacles move. So the three main species of plants are referred to as passive, semi-active, which is the sundew, and active, which is the Venus flytrap. Um, the different species, one doesn't catch any more plants than the other. Quite frankly, the one, the biggest pig of them all, is the pitcher plant, the one that does nothing. <laughs> Literally, I have seen them catch enough bugs to topple the two-foot pitcher over. Holy cow. You know, 40, 50. You'd think, oh, that's a lot of bugs. No, try two or 300. Whoa. In, in, in a trap. And, and then you go, oh, that's a lot of bugs. I have people who buy pitcher plants from me, take them to their horse barn, and when they get so big and fat they fall over, they bring them back, and, and I prune them up, and the guy says to me, you know, because it takes them a day or two to bring it in, and then get back, he says, you know, the next day I come, there's 200 flies on my wall in the horse barn. He says, the plant's been gone one day. <laughs> and, you know, and I go, yeah, they're, they're pigs. They love to eat bugs, and they'll eat them all day long. So That's incredible. It's, it's, and, and what's incredible is if you go to um, YouTube and query up carnivorous plants, you'll see them in slow motion. Mm -hmm. uh, but it never fails. <laughs> when you have people around and there's a bug near a plant, it, it, 30 people will sit there quietly and watch for 20 minutes watching the bug but it's just incredible yeah but it's fun i sit there and watch the same thing too uh, like i said I, I never get tired of it but i never feed them either well you know it's 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 amazing to watch them work because i think people don't really believe that like this plant is is a predator you know i mean it's just sitting there passively but you know it is luring prey into <laughs> basically because basically a pitcher plant is just an open stomach you know, I mean, like it's right. all the digestive juices are in the bottom, you know, and it looks like a mouth. I mean, these things, they look, it, it, you know, it's very much like uh, Little Shop of Horrors in a way, like especially the um, the hanging tendrilled uh, pitcher plants. I mean, they, oh, yeah. it looks the, like a the, mouth. The, it looks the like, oh, oh, my yeah. God. Like, it looks like it's got teeth Some on it. Them. I mean, it's crazy. 
Oh yeah, and 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 you know the people that collect them. I mean, these things are very expensive. Literally from jungles, places with no names, and it's just really incredible looking. Yeah, pictures on them. That's why. I mean, there's some with light lime green around the edges and red and black. I mean, just that's why people collect them is literally for the pictures. But um, yeah, the colors are incredible. I, I don't know. It, it's like anything that anyone collects, but these things do stuff. So that's what I, I think everyone finds interesting. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, of collecting, there there are. I was to say, are they called a water wheel plant? Uh, it, it floats around in um, clear water, lakes and bogs and things like that. It's a a minor plant known only to the carnivorous plant. Where it sucks up microscopic insects in the water. Uh, it moves, but it's so small, no one can see the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's like you know, protozoans and, and stuff. Oh yeah, and and there's in the soil. There's another group like that that is identifiable by the flowers. They're called bladderworts. Is it bladderwort? Yeah, bladderwort. I always mix them up with a another word that starts with a B. Uh, there's a group of plants called butterworts. Mm. Um, they have a big leaf. They're 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 similar to a sundew, except they're they look. Similar, similar to a succulent. Are you familiar with chicks and peas in the succulent world? I uh, succulent, yeah. I'm familiar with bladderworts and butterworts, but I'm not familiar with chicks oh, okay. and peas. I mean, no, I'm familiar well, with it's, succulents. It's, it's it's just the way they look. About 30 years ago, those were big in a landscaping thing, but um, it, it's it looks like a succulent, okay? Mm-hmm. And but it's a carnivorous plant. And you find them between Mexico City and the top of South America, and then in a few places in Europe. Uh, Again, these are all, I want to say, minor species that people collect, but there's still hundreds of different ones. Yeah. Um, But but they all work on the same principle as the the other ones we've talked about. Yeah. Passive and... Well, let's talk about. I want to go back to the Venus flytrap just for a second because there's a lot of stuff that I want to kind of cover. Because um, yeah. I, I want people to learn something when they listen to this. So, the Venus flytrap is is my personal favorite. I think mostly because it is the coolest looking one. I mean, the thing looks like a bear trap. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that's what the Audrey Two was based on in Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, it's it looks like a vicious plant. I mean, it's got red on the inside. Um, you know, it closes, whatever the mechanism is to close, it closes, the trap closes in, you know, one to two seconds, you know, trapping the, you know, the more it struggles, you know, the, uh, the more, right. the more it crushes. I mean, it's just, this thing's amazing. Uh, you want to kind of talk about the process of like, you know, the insect getting attracted to it and then getting trapped in the oh, Venus okay. flytrap? Okay. Well, let me, let me start you right from the beginning. Let's do it. Um, the insect again is, um, attracted by the light. The, the reflected sunlight of the plant, and he, Ooh, hey Richard, enough, let me let me stop you right there for a second. I want to make something really clear that I don't think a lot of people know about plants and flowers. And you mentioned it earlier, but I just want to put a fine point on it: that you know, plants, flowers are not made for our eyes. They're made for the eyes of insects, right. which see an ultraviolet. Right. Uh, you know, they see in a different spectrum of light. So there are things right. when you, if you were to look at a plant under a UV light, you would see almost a landing pattern going into the pollen so that pollinators can come and take that pollen and go elsewhere with it. You know, right. we don't, on, on orchids, that's very, very pronounced. When you exactly. Do that. And that's very important right. to know because there are things about the plants that you're about to talk about that we can't see with the naked eye, but which are designed right. to visually not, you know, not only with this, you know, the nectar, but visually attract the plant, the, the insects to the plant. Right. Right, and that's that's what what people they also make a mistake. They think the plant gives off a scent, mm. uh, which which attracts the insect. But again, that's not really true. Mm. It, it is the reflected light. When the when the insect gets up close to it, now as as you get to the Venus flytrap, um, when the insect gets up really close, uh, there is a fluid produced on the upper lips on the inside that the insect wants to eat um at that point um it steps into the trap 
Now, on either side of the trap, there's three little trigger hairs. And when you touch two of them, the trap closes. Uh, and we're talking in literally nanoseconds. Um, so it's very, very fast. The insect, now being caught on the inside, uh, moves around and it hits the rest of the trigger hairs. The trap now knows that it's caught something and it begins the process of digestion. It pumps up more water, which causes the plant to, actually it's not water, it's a fluid. It causes the, the plant to crush the insect. At the same time, cell walls open and there's an outpouring of fluid that starts to digest the insect. At, at this point, the thing is so flat, it's, it's just a lump uh, between the two halves of the trap. Um, and then, you know, a few days roll along and the insect is totally digested. The fluid is, <laughs> I love this, sucked back into the plant. The leaf, when it goes to open, actually grows bigger when it reopens. <laughs> no, is that and serious? Are you serious? It grows bigger? Yeah, every time it opens, <laughs> it grows bigger. Um, and, and of course, in the jungle, or in, not in the jungle, but out where they originally grew, the rain and the mist would wash off the dead bug. All that's left of the bug is the gelatinous matter. All the innards, all the juices have been sucked out of it. Same process <laughs> the spider uses when it wraps up an insect in the web yeah. and it injects a fluid, it digests the bug, and then sucks out the, the stuff. Same process. Um, and, of course, then the rain washes out the bug, and it's set and ready to open up for another one. Yeah. Um, wow. More prominently, what I've noticed is Venus tri-traps love mosquitoes. Hmm. They'll eat, sometimes I see two or three of them trapped in the same trap. No kidding. Rather interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure... I, I don't know if it's a color pattern that attracts the mosquitoes uh, more so, let's say, than to another plant. But uh, on the whole, we had 10 mosquitoes, eight of them will be sitting on a trap. Wow. The other two will be stuck to uh, sunders. Wow. The pitcher plants do not eat a lot of mosquitoes. They eat more other uh, other bugs, really. Uh that not not so much of mosquitoes either. Pitcher plants eat an absurd number of uh, flies and um, what are those other things with the hard one? Uh, it's a relative of the ladybug, uh, beetles. Oh, beetles, yeah. And they eat they eat a lot of beetles and you'll find uh, moths and flies in inside pitcher plants. Hmm. They're taller. If you really look in in the spectrum of insects. You see what plants are you'll find in there. Um, pitcher plants being two or three feet tall eat a you know a higher flying insect than let's say a trap which is only three inches above ground. They're more crawling bugs and little flies, things that don't get off the you know get up there eighty feet tall. Right. <laughs> right. Well, so, here's an here's an interesting fact. There's actually a spectrum where insects fly. Right. So. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Richard, because I wanted to bring up a couple of fun facts. I don't want to step away from the Venus flytrap just yet, but I wanted that's a great segue because I, I was I looked some things up. Fun fact, only five percent of the Venus flytrap's diet consists of flying insects. Five percent, yet it's yeah. called the flytrap, which is kind of one of those misnomers, you know? Yeah, like I said, it'd be better off calling it a mosquito trap. Yeah, or a beetle trap or a spider trap, but it doesn't roll off the tongue, yeah. you know? Yeah, right. Mar the marketing guy. Enough, though, they, they, they are in competition with spiders. Yeah. No, I believe uh, that. Spiders don't – you don't see a lot of spiders eaten by these guys, hmm. uh, which is one, one thing I find unusual. Spiders you'll find in the bathroom because they eat insects which go to water. But I find spiders, which if you were, let's say, in Louisiana and you see a pitcher plant, the Louisiana spider over a million years has grown up with it, mm. and they know to make their nest in the trap, right, in, mm. in the picture plant. Oh, uh, wow. But what That's I always smart. find puzzling is here in California, 
why do the spiders learn how to do this? Obviously, some sort of instinctual thing. Yeah. But they make their traps, their little webs, in the mouth of the pitcher plants. Oh, that's smart. Of course, when they do that to Venus flytraps, they get eaten. Right. <laughs> they close. That's pitcher right. plants don't do that. And they're not attracted to the same light or the fluid that the bugs are. So being a different species of insect... You know, it, yeah. it's a, it's an arachnid, not a whatever a fly is. Or, an but just a little aside from that, spiders are one of the few insects that you don't really see them eat a lot of, but they do like the beetles and the flies. Dad, that's so I didn't I didn't realize that they built it in the. Tr that's so smart. I mean, like it's the spider pulling a hustle on the uh, on the pitcher plant. I mean, he's he's cutting in on his <laughs> yeah. cut. He's getting his cut of the flies. Cut, cutting in on my turf. I'll <laughs> yeah. show you what I'm gonna do. Right. That's amazing. Uh, oh. uh, yeah. If they thought. Um. All right. So so two other things on the Venus flytrap. Uh, not to bore the audience, but here's here's another cool thing. The Venus flytrap is only naturally found in a 60-mile radius around in Wilmington, North Carolina. I mean, they're native to, not right. only the native to America, they're native to a 60-mile plot of land in the bogs of North Carolina. Like, that's crazy. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's why, for a lot of reasons, uh, people say the Venus flytrap is not from Earth. It came in on a meteor. Yeah. slammed into where that bog is and seedlings grew whether it was a seed I don't know that would have to be if you carry that to a logical end you'd have to say okay where did the seeds on the meteor come from is that part of a planet that blew up a quadrillion years ago and finally it landed here and then they I mean that's the the end product of when they say things like that where you yeah. gotta follow that thinking Yeah. if it came from space it had to come from a type of planet like ours that disintegrated so that meteor could fly through space. And I'm going, yeah, okay, either either way, you're right. That's the only area they're indigenous to. Yeah. And in 1958, there was one species of Venus flytrap. Now there are 648 different species. Of Venus flytrap? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they hybridized... Just like a dog, you can breed traits in them without doing cloning. You, the, as I said, the DNA is not so fixed as if you grow 500 of them, only 450 will be the same. Yeah. You'll see different traits in all of them. And then if you, you know, recross the pollen over and over and over again, you breed that trait into it. So it's you have that sort of you know routine going on. Yeah. Um, now, now with um, there's one other thing I want to mention about pitcher plants because there's the thing that's kind of cool about these is they've all evolved separately in different ways to 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 um to kind of capture insects or whatever their nitrogen or protein source is, but they've also developed different ways to deal with their carnivory. You know, like the pitcher plant, there are some pitcher plants who, who live in very um, moist areas, like in rainforests. I think the nephetes, right. is that what it's well, called? Right. The nephetes are, are moist it. rainforests where <clears throat> those are vines. And uh, it's there's really two species of pitcher plants, and that's why I, 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 I refer to one as Serencina and the other as nephetes. One that grows in the jungle, the Nepenthes, uh, it grows as a vine. It has a very small root mass and, and uh, can grow 60 feet long. Whereas the Serencina is a rhizome, and much like a geranium. And you can break them up that way every year when they go dormant. And so you can't do that with a Nepenthes. There are two separate species that do the same thing right uh it, it's hard to say timeline when they evolved uh i you know i quite frankly think if people were to go to smithsonian you could look this stuff i mean even find darwin's original notes on their uh, website oh is that uh, right well because he wrote the first book on carnivorous plants yes he was the one who originally discovered them back in oh i don't know Hundreds of years ago, I can't remember the date, 16 or 15-something. Yeah. 16, 17, I mean, so something like that. 
So he, he yeah, he, he's the guy who uh, discovered them, uh, sort of speak. Although they've been around for so long, everyone knew about them, but they, right. he, he made them famous. He wrote about them academically for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's what I was going to say. Well, and here's what's amazing because he's, you know, uh, when it comes to evolution, there's nothing that, that speaks to evolution more than a plant that develops a taste for insects. But what's kind of cool about the pitcher plant, which I wanted to just mention really quickly, is when they live in those aquatic environments with lots of rain, the rain fills up the pitcher plant. So, you know, if it overflows, you're not really catching any bugs. So a lot of these plants have, have evolved like a, you know, like in a bathtub, like a little hole at a certain level so that the water drains out. So that they don't overflow, which I thought was pretty amazing. Uh, well, actually, they don't. Um, here's the thing: I, I've never seen a hole on a pitcher plant. Uh, I don't know where that. I've, I've heard that, uh, but I've never seen one. They all all pitcher plants, except for a species in Venezuela, uh, have a cap over the top in some way, shape, or form. And when they fill up, if they fill up with water, they tend just to flop over hmm. and the water fills out. Sometimes they'll stand back up. Other times they don't. Um, the species I mentioned from Venezuela is a, a recent one. They discovered it grows on a tapui. And it has a slant down the front of it where if it fills up, it doesn't have a cap, by the way, and it does fill up because it rains there unimaginable amounts of water. And it just, as it fills up, it runs down the front of the thing and, and drains. Hmm. Um, I've heard people suggest that there's a hole in it and what have you. I've never seen one. Uh, I grow, like I said, I'll grow 100,000 plants this year, and if it's there, my eyes have never seen it. Hmm. Uh, let me put it that way. No, that's fair. Um, the caps are usually water, well, water. Uh, they keep the water off of it. Also, the growing time of year is not doing uh, During the summer, the traps come up and catch the bugs. Uh, during the winter, during heavy rain, when it gets cold, they tend to go dormant. Hmm. So you wouldn't run into that problem excessively. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some places with so much humidity that that could happen. But like I said, they tend to fall over. So I, as again, I, I've never, never seen one. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll take your word for that. Um, but now, now another thing about pitcher plants um, is that they don't only sometimes uh, they can. I was reading about um, a type of, of pitcher plant that. There are little mammals, like little rodents, that kind of that poop inside of the pitcher plant, where they can kind of get their nutrients that way, and they're kind of designed so that the animal is eating whatever while sitting on the pitcher plant, almost like a, a toilet in the wild. Yeah, you're right. Um, those are the Nepenthes, and they have a very, a very symbiotic relationship with a lot of lot of things. Uh, you're right. There's one species that in order to get some fluid that tastes good, mm -hmm. uh, kind of has to hang over and their excrement does form a little thing. There's another species that as the vine grows along, uh, the older, it doesn't produce as much toxic fluid, um, in, in the trap. Mm -hmm. And so frogs make their homes in there and they'll raise two or three young tadpoles in them. Inside the pitcher um, plant? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. Because as the pitcher as the pitcher plant grows, the front uh, is where all the action takes place. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, like let's say a, a plant is twelve feet long, the first eight feet has really active pitchers. The first three or four feet has less active pitchers. Animals make refuge in them. Uh, that's you know, there's one species that does that. There's another, like I said, that has feeds the mammals. There's another species that feeds uh, hummingbirds. I find them in my greenhouse licking that stuff all the time too. Now, do they fall I, out of the I, sky? I, I mean, like, are they? Do they get no, like they lick the nectar and then just like fall out of no, the sky? No, no, it it does not bother them. They're, they're uh, 
the 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 bird is much bigger than than let's say uh, the little fly. Mm-hmm. So the toxin doesn't affect them as much. Um, and I and on the bigger plants, I see the bird sitting on it. There may be an excrement exchange mm-hmm. there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Just recently, a picture was in the ICPS was uh, of a hummingbird. Oh, first time ever anyone's seen a hummingbird licking the fluid. I'm going out for three years. They've been in here doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so having said that, there's another species, which I'm familiar with, uh, of Nepenthes that is symbiotic with ants. Um, hmm. Sometimes I'll have so many ants and dead ants when I go to shift the plant that it, the pitcher will tip over and it'll look like a, a liquid jello, Ew. all viscous, yeah, with that much ants in it. Okay, so, and that's the other thing that we haven't touched on is on these fluids, um, in, let's say in the, the pitcher plants, the Vimpenthes, uh, the hmm. there's a, a chemical that breaks down the viscosity of the water. So when this insect falls into it, it sinks to the bottom. There are, what did I see just recently? Some sort of insect, it's a frog or something that jumps into it that eats the, uh, the, the insect and, and leaves the waste product oh, wow. in, in the fluid. So there, there's a lot of symbi- uh, symbiotic relationship that goes into it. The one I was talking about with the ants, by the way, in the jungle, you touch the plant, they come out and bite you all over the place. And if you ever worried about a million ants biting you, <laughs> go wow. kick in the Pentes. <laughs> so they, they, and the Nepenthes kicks out that fluid, and the ants lick it up. Well, maybe two in ten fall into the trap. The other get away with something. So they're feeding the plant. The plant is feeding them. There's a billion of them, so they don't mind losing a few. Right, right. <laughs> right. You, know, you know what I mean? I do. And it's a good symbiotic relationship that, that works just like I, I mentioned the butterworts, the, uh, the bladderworts, mm. speaking of symbiotic relationship. I have these things growing in my greenhouse, bladderworts, and another one called Eutrochalia. They don't grow by themselves. They only grow in the same pot with the pitcher plants. I'm not too sure what is given off that daylight, but they have a good symbiotic relationship with the plants. But, you know, there's a whole world of stuff that goes on. People never slow down to see it. They, they're just, you know, when was the last time you sat and wondered about a yellow flower, <laughs> why it won't grow in this pot with no pitcher plant and why it thrives in the one without, you know, mm. with a pitcher plant. That's what, yeah. You know, I, maybe since I retired and the, you got, hey, time. Time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got the time. You got that. Yeah, I got the time. I, I look at, I see stuff like that. Eh? It's just incredible. No, it isn't. Right? It is incredible. I mean, those are the. Th- you know, here's another question. Speaking of flowers, I mean, do these do some of these plants flower? I mean, they must germinate in some oh, way. They all do. Really? They, they all all do once a year, and with the. Uh, <laughs> you like this? During the springtime, I, I know you'll have to come up here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, during the springtime, I, because of my greenhouse, I run it, the environment differently. So in December, January, February, it's like springtime in there. The soil is warmer. The plants go dormant. And in the springtime, up come the flower petal. Up the, the, it's a tall stalk, about two feet long, very similar to an orchid. Uh, it these beautiful flowers on it. Now, they're about two weeks ahead of the pitchers because once the pitchers come up, they eat all the bugs and the plant doesn't get pollinated. <laughs> right, I was just going to ask that. So, two weeks before. The ultimate bait and uh, switch. And, and this year, I got it down because I walked around with my temperature gauge testing daily the temperature of the soil. So, as it got warmer, I now know how warm the temperature is going to that soil and the water has got to be a certain temperature before the root produces a flower. Hmm. I don't think anyone's ever bothered to do that, but, uh, you know, you don't hmm. sell them anywhere. There's no flower market, so. Yeah. 
No, I guess that's yeah. true. It is, it's not like orchids or something that you're going to show. But these things are so interesting. I wish I had a picture to show you, but yeah, I the, don't right now. The flowers are, I mean, I imagine the seeds have some value, but I mean, the flower itself probably wouldn't. Oh, for me, you have no idea how valuable the seeds are. Um, there's a really hard time. I have a hard time getting the plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, a loose-knit organization of people uh, who are, how would you say it? I grow them by the thousands, and I'm opening up a new greenhouse, and I'm looking for uh, as many as 60,000 seeds. Holy cow. Uh, and, I, of course, I can't find them anywhere, meaning I'm going to have to grow them myself. But it would be very interesting to walk into a greenhouse and see 100,000 of these things growing. Yeah, no kidding. That's amazing. You know, and, and then they're so colorful with the reds and the greens and the whites and, you know, we, bronze. And, and, we even got one called the Copper Top, which is kind of a burgundy. It's, a, it's copper on top. And then another one that's burgundy color, really neat. Well, you have, when I looked at, you have some amazing, the pitcher plants are surprisingly varied. You know, you have some that have hoods on them, which kind of come over. You've got like the cobra lily, which almost looks like, oh, yeah. it looks like a, it looks like a cobra. Like it, it goes over and these two things come out like a tongue. I mean, they're gorgeous. There's, you know, they're, they have the, I'll have some pictures uh, from your um, greenhouse on the, on the website, but you have, you know, ones that are white with like red veiny streaks in them. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of creepy in a way, but like there's a beauty to that. You know, I mean, there's in, you, in, in, in an odd. You're right. In an odd sort of way, the beauty is in the difference. Yeah. Um, people don't realize it, but even the two plants side by side will not be identical. Hmm. You can say they're both leucophilia, but they're not identical. One will have more white. One will have more green. Some have thicker veins. Hmm. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, you were down at the end where I showed you all those hybrids that I'm going to be reproducing, the ones with the white with the red veins in it and mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. They exist nowhere in the world except in my greenhouse. And uh, like I said, it, it's, there's such a variety, so many colors. It's uh, almost like looking at a Monet painting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you look down there and you see uh, 50 or 60,000 or even 10,000 plants, you uh, it's like a Monet painting. So, of course, I even wander around there and I have a good time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, well, I imagine you do. Well, so, no, now, let me, let's go into one final thing before we go. Um, what, how hard are these things to, to grow and maintain? You know, not, not not necessarily for a specialist like yourself, but for an average person. Because I mean, when I had a Venus flytrap, I mean, I killed it in a couple of weeks. You know, um, yeah. I, these things are really difficult to to. Some of them are more difficult than others, but difficult to maintain. Well, you know, I hate to say yes and no. Yes, they're the more expensive, higher end varieties like Nepenthes, and certain ones that have a higher humidity requirement. I, I tell everyone, don't, don't even try this stuff. But the other end, the pitcher plants and uh, the sundews, those are really easy to grow, and I grow them outside. You live in the L.A. area? Yes. In San Diego, something like that? They're so easy to grow. What you do is you put a saucer uh, outside, and, and you fill it with water, and you just put the pot in, and as long as the humidity will evaporate up, they do just fine in full sun. Uh, they grow outside in the sun in Texas, all up the coast, the Gulf Coast, up the East Coast, and they run down Montana all the way to British Columbia where it snows. Get out of here, I really? I find them in, in, in the Yukon, in the, in the um, Siskiyou County in California, in Oregon, there's a cobra lily, uh, natural cobra lily uh, walkway right up on the on the border. You walk through the swamp. It's a state-run preserve. Um, so it, there's <laughs> there's a wide variety. They're well suited. Uh, we have, like I said, I have 
little freeways where you put them in the kitchen and they eat all your fruit gnats and garbage gnats, mosquitoes, house flies, and even the dirt gnats or orchid gnats, any little gnat, and they grow just fine on the window counter, uh, like a windowsill. Yeah. And, and they, they, it's, it's really that simple to keep them. The uncomplex thing you got to do is not give them tap water. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the pores, but that tap water will kill the plant in three to six days. That's incredible. So it's Brita Pure Smart Water, the refrigerator filter water. Once you warm it up to room temperature, it's right. just fine. Right. Yeah, that's the other it's key. Just, and you've all seen, everyone's seen the rim of a terracotta pot, all that garbage, the calcium and the mineral that collects mm-hmm. on the rim. Yeah. Just think about on the on the, the, the roots, it plugs them up and they die. And you go to these, you know, like I said, Home Depot, Lowe's, they don't know. No, they, they, don't. they don't tell you anything about it, and most of the people there have no idea. So, I, I, people, you buy them there, but <laughs> yeah, they can't help you keep just them. Just water them with tap water, no tap water. Water them with Brita. Of course, Brita should give me money for advertising. Yeah, I was going to say you should have <laughs> said carbon-based filter, but no, Brita's fine. Yeah, carbon. Well, you know, any, anything. Like I said, any any filter, RO water or the refrigerator, anything works. Yeah. Just take out the hard minerals. Uh, and I don't worry about the chlorine. I I use um, in the greenhouse. I use a Culligan filter, uh, inline filter, and it works just fine. To the tune of a hundred thousand plants, it works just wow. fine. <laughs> wow, that's, that's amazing. Well, let me ask you a couple other quick yeah. questions. Um, do you have any favorites? As a species, my favorites are the sundews. Hmm. Um, but I, I just like them. I have always been intrigued by them. Uh, the pitcher plants are all beautiful. The fly traps are all unique, but I'm attracted to the sundews. Maybe because there are so many, you know, different colors. I probably have about 80 different types, and, and it is just interesting, maybe because they're small. The other day I saw something uh, very unusual, sundew about the size of a 50-cent piece. Um, you know those big yellow jackets that you find when you go to eat your hamburger outside? Yes. Okay, one of those came in and landed on this sundew and became very inebriated to the fact that two leaves rolled up and around this thing. That's a big bee, and the sundew's not much bigger than a quarter. Yeah. Very interesting battle, but it won. The plant won? So it, the, the, the plant won. It uh, rolled up that bee, and, and uh, two leaves rolled it up. It was wow. a big dinner for the plant. Yeah, no kidding. And they, again, have many, many beautiful leaves. Now, Beautiful flowers, excuse me. The flowers I grow. I, I've had species in my collection for since the sixties, and every year they grow masses amounts of of flowers. They produce massive amounts of seed. So every year I'll harvest anywhere between eighty and two hundred thousand seeds, which I you know send off to the ICPS people and. I keep, you know, a good amount for myself. But over the years, I've probably had a collection of, I don't know, I've probably got maybe 60 different types of sundews. Literally from everywhere in the world, from Australia, Borneo, Madagascar, Africa. Uh, I've got some things by, uh, from uh, the Victoria Falls. Um, And then the most interesting one, which is very nondescript plant, is from Cuba. Hmm. I got a little teeny sundew from Cuba uh, from someone I met from the Brazilian Botanical Garden sent me some seeds. Back in, oh, I want to say 1968, 69. And I've had them in my collection ever since. Holy cow. Cute little plant. But you, to me, it's more fun to find the plant from a different country. Yeah. I've got some stuff from Botswana. I've got seed coming from um, Bulgaria. 
Hmm. Uh, You know, like I said, Turkestan is another thing I've got seeds from recently. The Czech Republic, Switzerland, Finland. Uh, It's really interesting. Just about every country in the world has a carnivorous plant. Yeah. You just have to be able to see it. I didn't know that. Not so much for pitcher plants and uh, fly traps. Sundews are kind of spread worldwide a little better than these guys. They're more non-local, let's say. National, international. They're international. It's probably intergalactic. They're international. Venus flytraps originated by Wilmington. Yeah. Sundews are throughout the world. Yeah, and Venus flytraps so are... really quite a, a, an interesting group of plants. But, All right, Richard, yeah. we, are, we are out of time, man. Now, if... if if this interview has fostered inside of you feelings of, of wanting to own a simple house plant that has a taste for human flesh, well, you got it wrong, Buster. You should be institutionalized, sicko. That's not what we're selling here. But if you liked what you heard, the good news is, is Richard's genius is for sale. WorldRarePlants.com, where he, he sells all of these, everything we've talked about, Serencina, the various Venus fly traps, the sundews. If any of that tickled your fancy, log on and order from worldsrareplants.com so richard thank you so much for being here this has been this is a big interview for me because i've always had a love of carnivorous plants and it's been amazing to sit here and talk to someone with 50 plus years experience cultivating creating you know, hybridizing these plants uh it's just been an absolute pleasure so thank you very much for that and i want to thank everyone for listening have a wonderful night <laughs>